my sound is good a good volume did, distance did either of us get the little lady being like it's recording because I didn't you did okay and cool. I can see and I did cool. and I can see I can see up at the top left it says recording okay cool hi I'm Beth and I'm Jamie welcome to driver picks the podcast where I pick the podcast and I shut my cake all. And today we are joined by an extra special guest. We have August, our lovely friend from over on Saving People, Queering Things, and also over on Wayward Parents. Hello, thank you for having me back. Thank you for joining us on this particular episode. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> I think we're all very excited for many different reasons, but we're all very excited. <laughs> Without further ado, today we are going to be discussing the third episode of the fifth season of Supernatural titled Free to Be You and Me, Jamie and August. What did you think? Okay, first up, I'm really sorry, August. I'm going to ignore you for a second and just speak to Beth directly. (laughs) Why the fuck did you gaslight me like that, bitch? for them to have this random dude be Lucifer. Like, this is fucking ridiculous. This does not make any sense. And you're like... You know, that he's he's Lucifer. I don't know what to tell you. You're so like, right, Jamie. That is such a missed opportunity. You're right. It should have been Sam. He's out here <laughs> gaslighting me like nobody's bit. Uh, that is mean to me on my own podcast. You are too good at predicting things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the only way to not tell you things in advance is just to be like, well, I don't know what to tell you. This is just how, <laughs> this is just how it is. <laughs> we have been waiting. We have been waiting. Those of us who... We have been fucking waiting (laughs) (laughs) for this reveal. What I would like to suggest is for anyone who's listening who may have forgotten, or actually specifically for you, Jamie, you should go back and re-listen to episode 48, Sin City. Because (laughs) I think, right, by going back and listening to it now, you'll understand why everyone lost their minds. (laughs) Yes, you will. You will. (laughs) And so I think you should do that. If you get a free hour... You should go back and listen to what you said in that episode. I made the point about Sam being the true vessel for Lucifer over and over and over and over and over again. And then when we got the reveal of the other dude who is Lucifer, who Nick. Nick. So I was like, this makes no sense. Why is it this random dude? Like, we've never met Nick before. Where are the fucking stakes of that? Like that. And and I've been going on and on and on previously about how (laughs) Sam, like, Obviously, they're not just building Sam to, like, kill Lilith and start the apocalypse, but also to be the true vessel for Lucifer. Like, he needs some sort of reinforcement yeah. so he can yeah. contain him. And Beth's gone, nah, that doesn't sound legit at all. <laughs> I've never said that. I rolled the tapes. I have never said that. <laughs> Beth's been very careful about what she says about many things. <laughs> and I think it's really mean to me specifically. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's just, it's one, it's really funny, but two, I can't give you the spoilers. I want you to, I want you to find out organically. And like, I think that's the most fun you're going to have. It's actually kind of the best of both worlds because the most fun that people who have seen the show and know what's coming will have is knowing that you don't know how right you are about things. And yes. the best fun that you will have is being surprised by how right you are about things. And so... I have been dying to get to these couple of episodes of season five for, I mean, since Sin City primarily, because I've just been waiting and I know that other people have been also waiting because I have received many all caps messages going, how the fuck did you not give it away? (laughs) Really? We should be complimenting Beth on her skill in gaslighting you? (laughs) 
<laughs> because it's taken some some skill. I know. Well, I, I don't that's, that's an achievement that I want attached to my name, <laughs> but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> Only in the not giving away spoilers for Supernatural, not in any other way, because that's not you at all, Beth. Oh, thank you. <laughs> As friends, me and Beth are the closest we've ever been, but also we lie to each other constantly. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, but it's very fun. <laughs> and you know, we all get to enjoy it. I have also been waiting for this reveal, so. Yeah. <laughs> boy, boy, do I have some opinions. Excellent. I am apologizing in advance now to you, August, and also to anyone listening. But not I'm to me. Not to Beth. She's <laughs> gaslighted the shit out of me for the last like, two I years. I deserve it. At this point, Beth, <laughs> Beth has made her bed. <laughs> yeah. It will be what it will be. I am going to be obnoxious this episode. So this is like your warning. Like, <laughs> August, you're free to leave at any time if I'm too much. Like, I understand. I am self-aware here. But like, just understand that there is no way for me to not be obnoxious about this episode. I think you've earned it. And honestly, I know a lot of very longtime fans obnoxious about this episode, including probably both Beth and I. So mm -hmm. you're going to fit right in. You're going to be obnoxious about different things probably, but... I would also like to issue a quick blanket statement. I do apologize in retrospect. I should have gotten Jamie's live reaction to this episode. Uh, my apologies, <laughs> my bad. Won't let it slip again. <laughs> so while we're talking about the Sam as Lucifer vessel, we should maybe talk about Sam this episode. Let's, let's talk, yeah. while we're on Sam, let's talk about Sam because mm -hmm. they're pretty separate plots this week. Yes. So we'll talk about Sam and then we'll go to Dean and Cass. Yes. It is. There are thoughts there as well. <laughs> It is, oh, after God. all, a Jeremy Carver episode, so Sam is off doing something different to everyone else. <laughs> and mostly forgettable. <laughs> and mostly forgettable. Honestly, when people describe this episode, nobody ever talks about what Sam is doing. No. Which is insane, considering what Sam is doing. <laughs> it's not like it's, like, a small thing that he's doing. It's not like it's unimportant like some other times when Sam goes off. Like this time it's really important and we still collectively ignore it. I yes. would argue that the Sam content in this episode is more plot relevant than the Dean and Cass content oh, in this episode. Oh, absolutely. So overarching plot, like, okay, so first up, Sam is in hiding, basically. He's mm -hmm. going by Keith, which is hilarious. Which choice. is a choice of a name. <laughs> Anytime I hear the name Keith, I just think Keith from the Try Guys. Yeah, me too. So I'm like, <laughs> and I kind of like, they're both massively tall. I think it's safe to say that's basically the only thing they have in common. But <laughs> so we've got him. He's uh, he's basically hiding out in a bar. You've got the girl who's like, "Oh my god, Lindsay. he's so deep and mysterious, and I really want to get to know him." Yeah, I have some thoughts about Lindsay. That's a bad choice. Yeah, and not a real choice that most women would make. That basically <laughs> sums up my thoughts on Lindsay. Yeah, <laughs> she's plot convenient. And then we get obviously the hunters. They say, like, we're friends of your father. I would argue what by father they're referring to Bobby, which I think is hilarious, because <laughs> I don't think they were John's friends. Ooh, why not? I don't know if John's very good at having friends, to be fair. Yeah, but yes, I would love an elaboration true. if you have one. Of, like, why Bobby is specifically. John's been dead for, what, like, two years at this point? Just about. Oh, yeah, just over. John's been dead for two years at this point. And, like, they say the thing about, like, getting cool to come in mm -hmm. and that how they've been talking to Bobby so like mm -hmm. we've got an established connection to Bobby but we don't get an established connection to John at all like the only thing is like we were friends of your father so like for me it seems weird to, for them to be 
called in by Bobby, but then be talking about how they're friends of John. Like, you know, like the network seems kind of loosely all connected. So I think it's not like out of the question that they would have known John, but that their connection is more with Bobby. Maybe friends is too familiar of a term. Yeah. Maybe it should have been like, we knew of your father. Like we were acquaintances or like we met once right. at like Ellen's, you know, at the roadhouse. Yeah. Or we, you know, we worked in a, we worked a hunt together one time. Yeah. Yeah. Know? We took out a werewolf or yeah. Something more like loose, I suppose. They're more like work acquaintances than they are friends. Yeah. <laughs> and I just don't know why they would invoke like a familiarity with John instead of a familiarity to Bobby, if that makes sense. John is John is their father, quote unquote. I still don't fucking believe it myself. Um, <laughs> he's their father only by technicality. Mm. Like <laughs> he's like that um, Australian ice skater that won because everyone else fell over. <laughs> that was very very funny to watch. I watched that live. It was very funny. <laughs> oh, you watched that live? Mm-hmm. I have only ever saw it like as reruns. I wish I could have seen that live. I have never been more proud of my country. <laughs> it was so funny it was so funny because you just saw it happening you went like this this cannot be real that is the first gold medal australia's ever won in the winter olympics the look on his face when he realized what had happened i will never get over. if if anyone listening doesn't know what we're talking about i don't even know what you would google but we might just put a youtube link but i'm pretty sure the exact same thing happened in like the the qualifier that he was in to, so that he mm-hmm. made it to the final in the first place like it didn't just happen once to this dude that happened twice that man made a demon deal i <laughs> this is not the tangent that i thought that we would be distracted by this episode i'm not gonna lie john bradbury a 2002 winner around big we got, we got, anyway, <laughs> john is basically the equivalent of that dude and that he is only their father because everyone else fell over. <laughs> he happened to be the only one there. He happened to be the one there at the end. The whole cast of the Winchesters just fell over in front of John, and he was the only one who skated to freedom. Anyway, we were talking about Sam. This episode, I think it's hilarious that everyone, like, I see why everyone remembers the Dean Cass stuff, yeah. because it is very memorable. Mm. But also, the Sam stuff is vitally important. That might be more of a fandom blind spot when it comes to Sam. <laughs> One of the characters is like, just have some demon blood and Hulk out, which brings the question, how buff is Sam actually? <laughs> I mean, he spends a lot of his time in this episode shirtless, which is also a choice. And we do see it like more than once in the episode. I made a note that said, we so rarely see the boys without six layers on. Like this is... They both get down, like Dean gets down to one layer, which is basically naked for him. And and yeah, Sam is actually shirtless. <laughs> And very buff. I was trying to figure out why they made that choice. And then the only thing that I could think was that they needed a way to distinguish the time jump for Sam between the opening scene of the episode and the ending scene of the episode. And instead of putting him in two different colored shirts, they just made him wear the shirt and then take off the shirt. Like, <laughs> they're on a tight recording team. I think they just want an excuse to have Jared shirtless. I mean, look, <laughs> that too. <laughs> I think they're pandering a little bit. Anyway, sorry, Jimmy. So he gets force fed the demon blood mm-hmm. and then. He beats those dudes up. And so I think the implication is that he spat out most of the demon blood, but he still ate like a little bit of it. Is mm. that meant to be the implication here? I think so. When I watched it this time, I actually paid attention to that because I always forget. I don't actually, he doesn't spit out very much. I think it's more of a like, fuck you to spit it out than it is actually him spitting it out. I think he actually swallows most of it based on like watching it. Because they pour, they pour like a whole vial in it. Yeah, yeah it's not a small amount. No. And also, they don't get all of it in his mouth, though. 
Yes. I would argue only like 50% of it makes it into his mouth. I still think he swallows enough. Based on also how much we saw him swallow, like with when we found out, like based on how much we've seen when he's actually drank demon blood in the past. Yeah. This seems like a, a decent amount. So he's drunk the demon blood and I'm assuming that's why he starts having the hallucinations, etc., of Jess, which is later revealed to be a dream for Lucifer. So I don't think that the demon blood is associated with him seeing Jess. I think that is literally just Lucifer. So Lucifer can't find him because Cass is hitting them with yeah. the, an opening on his ribs. Yeah, yeah. Which means that they can't appear physically. But the way that Lucifer is getting around that is by projecting into Sam's head. He doesn't have to know where Sam is to be able to do that. So that is just Lucifer. Like, that's not a hallucination as such. That is. I, I was yeah. about to go into that. Oh, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> What I was going to say is we're meant to imply at the beginning that it's a hallucination, like the opening scene, and then it's revealed, obviously, that it's Lucifer. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that I think it's still probably tied to the demon blood because since we've had the carving on the ribs, Cass hasn't used his number one fun thing of just popping into Dean's dreams. Mm, So I would argue that the inscriptions on the ribs also hides them in dreams from the angels. Ooh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think slash remember if that's Me too. if they ever like true just, or not. Like if that's proven later to be true or not. Because then like it would make sense why Lucifer hadn't appeared previously in Sam's dreams. Why he's just popping in now. Because he has to have some current demon like he But the thing is he, he has demon blood like in general. Like we've established that that's like just sort of his blood is is different because of that anyway. Is it like the concentration has to be high enough? Or fresh enough for like that would be an interesting argument. I don't know if it's actually accurate. I feel like that meme of that lady who's seeing all the maths and the triangles <laughs> in front of her, I'm trying to work it out. So I think that it is an interesting theory. I do think that potentially maybe because Sam is Lucifer's vessel, like capital T, capital V, the vessel for Lucifer, I think that he could potentially be strengthened and potentially their like connection or compatibility strengthened by the ingestion of demon blood. But also he sees Jess at the beginning and the end of the episode and he has not ingested demon blood in the beginning of the episode. He only has it when it's forced at on the him be- at the end. Then it says a week earlier. Oh. Like, I, I'm not going insane, right? Like, that first scene. No, you're right. Like, you get the first scene and it's, like, one week earlier. So I was assuming that takes place. Those two scenes are actually the same time. Yeah, that's oh, part of that later thing. scene. Oh, my God. That's oh. why he's shirtless in one of them. Wait, oh. <laughs> we are not very observant. I would, how did Jamie understand that on one what? How many times during <laughs> we collectively have watched this episode? Uh, well, how many times have we ever paid attention to what Sam's doing in this episode? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a good point. This is not why, we, like, that is not why like, we watch um, the episode. I will admit I have watched this episode and skipped all the Sam parts before. Not this time. <laughs> this time I watched the whole thing, but I have watched it and skipped all the Sam parts before. Well, I fully forgot what Sam was doing this episode, which is why I didn't ask Jamie to do a live reaction. So... <laughs> <laughs> For me, I, I swear there was like a one week earlier. So I no, just, you're, no, you're, there is. You are correct. I was just assuming that it was sort of like if you add the two together, that's the full scene and you just sort of get half at the start, half. Yes, no, you're 100% correct. I'm just an idiot. <laughs> In my mind, I always assumed that like it was like two separate nights for some reason, but no, me you too. are correct. You are 100% <laughs> correct. Okay, let's just go back to the time that Beth roasted me because I didn't notice the cast that was hidden by like six layers of flannel. And point out that she didn't even notice the one week earlier. So, like the I noticed it. I just chose to ignore it. 
brain just filtered that entirely out. <laughs> linear storytelling. What linear storytelling? Yeah. I don't know what a film technique is. So I thought maybe like the reason why Lucifer couldn't appear before is because like his concentration of demon blood was too late. Because I I would also argue there's probably a difference in the demon blood between like the original demon blood that Azazel gave him and the demon blood that he drank. Like obviously theoretically it's all the same stuff, but like maybe because Azazel's a more powerful demon or because it was given to him at such a formative time. The stuff he gets from Azazel, the way I've always looked at it, and I can't remember if it's if it was maybe in a previous conversation on your show or on our show that we talked about it, about how because it's in such a like developmentally, like he's only six months old, like that's why it has to be done so young. It's not just like a foreign substance in your bloodstream. It actually becomes like part of your biology and that that maybe wouldn't be necessarily possible if it was later on. Or maybe it does have to do also with the fact that, yeah, Azazel is a different class of demon. You know, he's a yellow-eyed demon. Which, yeah. which he's primarily be drinking black-eyed demon blood. Well, exclusively, I think. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think we see Azazel. him. As far as we know, yeah. Well, it's an interesting thought. And I would be interested if anyone else has ever considered this. Because clearly August and I have not. <laughs> I would love to know your takes because... Demon blood mechanics. Demon blood mechanics is always a really interesting conversation to have. And I think that this is like a very, yeah, it's a very specific case, but I would be interested to understand if it did have it. Or, I mean, we never really get confirmation. I get we, I guess we get to decide, like, did it have an impact? Yeah, because there's not going to, there's not a, this this specific instance is is so specific. It could also be a case of, I mean, also in this episode, we get actually a little bit of angel lore in this episode, like a fair, mm-hmm. a fair bit. And one of the things that we find out is that there is like a direct line between an angel and their vessel. So Mm -hmm. it could also be that like that was what Lucifer was using to his advantage, I suppose. And then again, whether or not that is strengthened or weakened by the presence of additional demon blood, I suppose. Yeah. Well, basically my thought was the connection is there and like the inscriptions on his ribs sort of hides it and sort of blocks it but mm. if it gets strengthened by the demon blood it boosts then it, it boosts it and makes it easier for lucifer to find him even if you can't find him physically it's easier to find him in dream right which would make kind of make sense too with what we do know about like with Raphael. like i would imagine it's easier to communicate with your vessel like once they've said yes even if you've left them temporarily like with Raphael, like you know like there's probably degrees of how easy is it to communicate with your vessel based on where in the story are you like how much communication have you had with them in the past the demon blood the best like have they said yes are they shielding themselves with you with the enochian blah 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 like all those different things this all made me think like so we get in the first season all the way back we get sam seeing jess on the corner of the street Mm -hmm. what if he'd already been like even before he met ruby ruby and started making the choice to drink drink demon blood what if he'd been getting force fed like little bits of it for years like, he obviously got the initial bit in his crib, but then, like, obviously we know that, like, as Hazel had been watching him, etc. how hard is it to, like, drip a little, like, a couple of drops of blood into his coffee? Like, and so it's like, what if that is already, like, I know Lucifer was trapped in hell, but what if that's, like, just little bits of Lucifer starting to come through as the bond to his true vessel becomes stronger? Oh, walking the line of spoilers is hard. I- yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it really is. So 
correct in saying like we know that Azazel was keeping an eye on Sam or if even if he wasn't specifically like he had eyes on Sam yeah so we even know if this. he had just like Meg or something stalking Sam to yeah. make sure Sam was doing what they wanted we, and, we know this and so and you've had this yeah. theory for yeah. ages that like you know if he was sort of getting we we've talked about the demon blood sort of like in terms of a vaccine so it's basically like getting boosters right like every like six yeah. months or a year or whatever to make sure that it's still potent in his system and we we never I don't think it's a spoiler to tell you we never get confirmation of that mm-hmm. specifically but I would argue that at least while he was at Stanford and away from John and Dean it is not outside the realm of possibility I would you could have that very strongly as a headcanon and you could argue for it quite easily there's yeah there's things that you can you can use to argue that that interference with Sam like in the form of blood like is not outside of the realm of possibility in those years I think it's harder to argue it it's harder to argue it at this point at this point you could consider it as a possibility you can't really argue for it using as much substantial evidence as you could at a later stage yeah and we'll get there we'll get okay, there so we but... get more evidence that doesn't necessarily prove it but also certainly doesn't disprove it yeah and sort of you could you can manipulate to make support the argument yeah 100 percent I don't think we're ever going to get actual explanation for why he saw Jess on that street corner because it's it's been like three seasons now and we haven't gotten any explanation. I mean, I think we always thought it was like trauma, really. But like we've now had Lucifer appear to Sam as Jess, so yeah. it's like if if some of like if some of Lucifer's powers to sort of escape a little bit and sort of Sam's in that half like half awake, half asleep sort of stage and like tired, really tired or whatever, like sort of forcing a little bit of that power in so that he sees Jess and it like and the real question is is can he do that from the cage because I think like arguing that he can do it once he's out of the cage is one thing obviously he can regard even without the demon blood well he's in the cage that I know a way we could make it work without him being in the cage we know angels can time travel my dudes so we could, so literally That's what we saw in season one, he could, that could be Lucifer as of this episode going back and making Sam see, like, do you know what I mean? Because past That's, Sam doesn't have the Enochian on his ribs That's yet. So fucked. he could. But she's That's wearing fucked. like the same thing, right? Like she's wearing like the white dress. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I kind of want to go back and see if it's the same dress because like. I would guess it was because normally with costuming departments. They when they have it. Yeah. And the thing is this particular dress it's yeah. not like it was in a single episode and the character has two million other clothing items. It's like this is the almost exclusively the dress that we see. There's like one other, she has like two other outfits. One's in the pilot and then she has another one in um what is and what should never be when she's... And she has the nurse outfit in the pilot. She yeah. has several outfits in the pilot. But yeah, that's her most iconic. Considering this dress is the one that she burned alive in the ceiling in, I would argue that they probably made multiple. It's um, not because the same they... dress. The one that she burns in is not a long dress. It's a short dress. You can see her like. Oh, you're right. But it is, I reckon, the one she wears on the street corner. But it's the same kind of like general aesthetic. And it's also like a very supernatural sort of like dead girlfriend, dead mother. Like it's the symmetry is there. And also I feel like Lucifer is the kind of character that would be more concerned with the symmetry of it than with the actual 100% accuracy if he was trying to fuck with them. That's genuinely my new headcanon. My new headcanon is that Lucifer got out of the cage and was immediately like, I know how to get Sam, went back in time and is has just been like Sam's been quote unquote hallucinating Jess. It's actually Lucifer. That's my new headcanon. I've just decided. (laughs) 
That I'm going to roll with that for the rest of time. Thank you so yeah. much for giving me that brainchild. <laughs> Thanks for making Sam's trauma worse. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Wait until you hear my theory about how Jess was possessed the entire time. I have heard your theory about how Jess was possessed the entire time. <laughs> it's. I like it. I think it's very fun. I think it makes everything sadder. If his entire time of normalcy is a lie. Well, we actually get that the quotes from Sam in that conversation in this episode where, you know, we find out Sam still misses Jess and he still loves her. And he says, this time it's different. Last time I wanted to be normal. This time I know I'm a freak. Shout out to the use of the word freak. Thanks, Jeremy. Freak usage. Love that you've got our back on that one. (laughs) And then Jess slash Lucifer replies, even at Stanford, you knew, you knew there was something dark inside of you. I was dead from the moment we said hello. And so, you know. I'm honestly just surprised the writers remember Jess was a thing. It has been a few seasons since we've heard about Jess. So, yeah. Like, I feel like the first couple of seasons we heard about Jess, like, not infrequently. Like, once every half well, yeah, a dozen episodes. was fresh. Like, and now it's been like, I don't think, I don't think there's a single mention of Jess at all in season four. Well, I mean, the thing is that I think is probably primarily because of Ruby. We are so, like, focused on that relationship for Sam that Jess is almost like a different it's a different life for him yeah whereas now he's both kind of trying to escape but also knows he can't you know there's a different different dynamic because he doesn't have ruby in the same way that like he he had ruby in season four i also think it's interesting like sam at the end of this episode is saying like you know people can change there is a reason for hope and like i think that that is very important for sam (laughs) like as a as an individual because like this is his like rock bottom right now. He's on the outs with Dean. Bobby is low-key, not like pissed at him, but is like, you know, he's sort of got a rocky situation going with Bobby. He's isolating himself. He's a recovering addict. He's just started the apocalypse. And now Lucifer wants him to be his best. Like Sam is at a fucking low point right now. And so for him to be able to say there is still reason for hope, I think that that is like fucking good on him you know I'm glad that he is seeing that silver lining because that fuck man that's hard I do appreciate that that Bobby roasts the shit out of him like (laughs) I wonder what experience hunters I have in the area yeah (laughs) salty Bobby is my favorite Bobby (laughs) salty dad Bobby is like oh yeah wonderful but what gets me is if Sam had been hunting there is actually a better choice that he wouldn't have like quote unquote fallen off the wagon I want to be clear here Getting force-fed demon blood does not, in my brain, make it him fall off the wagon. This is not a kind. This is not a choice he made. It's not, it's a, not choice a choice he made. Like that is, it, he didn't make the decision. He didn't decide. Like they force-fed him that. Like they had to hold him down and force-feed him that blood. Mm-hmm. Like, but if he'd gone with them, there's the chance that that wouldn't have happened and he would still be sober. Well, I think yeah, it's the whole point of like of the conclusion that he's like he's kind of coming to I think later on in the episode is just like that he can't escape you know that the escaping piece is not like that's not working he's gonna both literally and metaphorically face his demons yeah yeah and he's and he can just and it did just like him going and using a different name and working at a bar doesn't actually get him out in the same way that when he went to Stanford for several years he was out and now this is actively hunting him down when he's out you know, in a way that he hasn't experienced before. I mean, basically, Jamie summed it up really nicely just before, but I, yeah, it comes down to this idea of like escaping the life is not actually achievable and potentially it never was. 
it was just something that they allowed him to think he'd achieved and honestly and by they I mean like the demons but also to an extent the angels because they knew what was happening this entire time Mm -hmm. clearly and that does sort of bring me around to another point I wanted to talk about which jumping off of your thing about how they force fed him the demon blood Sam and bodily autonomy and consent in like in general but this episode is just rife with it because yeah we have the instance of them physically holding Sam down and pouring the addictive substance straight down in his mouth it's really hard to watch actually it is it's really it's really difficult to sort of exist with then at the end of the episode we have the whole thing with Lucifer and Lucifer needing consent and Sam saying I would kill myself before I let you use my my body and Lucifer being like well and then I'll just bring you back to life like he has no out it's it, it removes all autonomy from him that's been the journey since season one which leads me to a really fun thought it's like mystery spot except for Sam's just trying to get out of giving consent so he's just like he's like trying to die anyway and every time he just gets brought back it's an inverted mystery spot inverted mystery spot instead of it resetting every time Dean dies every time Sam dies it just resets how do you bring everything back to mystery spot like it's like a special <laughs> skill that you have <laughs> You know why? It's just because it's so easy to connect to everything because the trickster's an angel. So you're talking about angels, you can bring it right back to mystery spot. (laughs) Should have (laughs) known. Every theory of yours is a circle. We need a timer. How long did we go before? (laughs) We, we, you know that like that joke with like the chalkboard. That's like days since Jamie mentioned (laughs) the trickster. It's gonna be just like seconds since Jamie. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Oh, speaking of tricks. I do want what to. Is that I know. <laughs> Beautiful. So I do want to come back to a quote from Lucifer that I wanted to touch on. And I think that this is really interesting looking at his character moving forward because it's just fascinating, particularly when we get to like later iterations of Lucifer. So he says, I will never lie to you. I will never trick you. But like you will say yes. And here is my issue with this. He has just spent the last 22 <laughs> minutes pretending to be Sam's dead ex-girlfriend. Like, oh, you'll never trick him? What, on what basis? On what? I'll never lie to you? You just did. You're like, I'll never lie to you. Two seconds later, I'll never trick you. That's a fucking lie. Well, this is, <laughs> this is like Sam's being gaslit to believe that if he ever says yes, it will be willingly. Yeah. Even though the very fact of the way Lucifer is going about this means it will never be willing. Like Sam's mm-hmm. made it very clear. I'm never going to be willing to do this, which means that inherently like, it's going to be coercion. Yeah, it's not consent. Coercion and consent are different fucking things. And, and that's the thing is he's seeming to s- conflate the two and be like, if you've said yes, it must be willing. And like, I won't trick you. But I will threaten to torture you for the rest of eternity. And I will bring you back if you say no and you and you die. Like, I will bring you back. Like, that's, that is a trick. That is a, like, that is a lie. That is basically meaning you don't actually have a choice. It's the illusion of free will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucifer only needs consent on paper. He needs the literal words of like, yes. Yes. Which I'm making a connection here with like Raphael and like what Raphael says later on in the episode where he says, you know, like we do what we want, which mm-hmm. is like the sort of the crux of it of like, yes, on paper, Sam has to give consent. But really the angels are like, we will do what we want. We don't actually care about your consent. It's just a technicality we have to get around. Yeah, like it's red tape. It's like, well, we have an end goal. This technicality, red tape is standing in the way of our end goal. We'll find a way to, we'll find the loophole, basically. Like we'll find the coercion that is needed 
And we've, you know, talked about this with Dean back in season four, before we knew that Dean was Michael's vessel and Cass was asking him, you know, like, will you, you know, swear your obedience to the host or like however he phrased it in that Mm -hmm. episode. Dean is like, yes. And then Bobby later is like, you're a fucking idiot. And Dean's like, well, what was my choice? It's either this or like, let Sam do whatever it is that Sam was doing in that episode. And then the angels were like, hey, fuck it. Well, let Sam do whatever the fuck Sam wants to do in that episode anyway. (laughs) They're like, actually, we do what we need. We We don't care. (laughs) The illusion of free will, the illusion of consent is something that is long-standing and supernatural and particularly when it comes to like bodily autonomy particularly with Sam I mean Dean as well yeah but particularly we see it in Sam it's alluded to more with Dean than it is Dean it's more explicit with like Sam's storylines they're like they both experience the loss of like bodily autonomy but it usually looks very different I would also pin a lot of it on sort of like Dean is the angel's blobo, whereas Sam is the demon's blobo. So it's like the demons, when they're trying to like get around bodily autonomy, they just take it. They don't give a shit. They have less red tape in order to get around that consent issue. Yeah, that's true. Whereas the angels have more red tape, so they have to be more manipulative. Yeah. Well, we saw that in season four. We saw that all through season four of the angels have to make you. They've got to be sneakier almost. And the angels are care more about their reputation. The angels have to look like the good guys both to themselves and to the people around them and like Raphael saying we basically do what we want is one of the first times I think we've really seen explicitly them being like we actually don't really care that's why someone like Uriel was a PR nightmare (laughs) (laughs) well I think that was all I wanted to talk about with Sam so now we should start talking about Bert and Ernie I'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh Thelma and Louise you mean (laughs) very very quickly before we do uh, before we get off this topic, I do have a guess for your PSA. Oh, lovely. Okay. So let's <laughs> go into my PSA in this little awkward in-between segment. <laughs> so the reason I'm saying this now is because we literally basically just elaborated on it. But my guess for your PSA is that coercion is not the same as consent. And the word yes is the absolute bare fucking minimum in terms of consent in all things. Like you want p- the person that you're asking consent from to be very sure about their consent and their willingness to go ahead with whatever it is they're consenting to. Enthusiastic. And like we talk about a lot, like a lot of discussion around consent uh, tends to hinge on like sexual natures and stuff. But like, honestly, consent in anything, like you just need to make sure that the person who is consenting to whatever it is, is fully aware of like the whole situation that's going to go down. Like there is nothing that they're not aware of. There is no coercion at all in any sense of the thing. Well, that makes me think of is um when Mary made the deal, she signed up her son for a clinical trial <laughs> without proper consent. I'm sure she didn't Mary read the, didn't fine, read the print. fine print in the contract. She read may contain demon blood. <laughs> and like, let's face it, John Winchester was not enough compensation for the shit that was going to happen. <laughs> Ten years of a shitty husband in John Winchester was not enough. I have a guess for your PSA. Lovely. What? What? I guess is that just because he's mysterious doesn't mean he's a good choice. One hundred percent. They were both top tier PSA. Neither of them are correct this week. <laughs> of course they weren't. Yeah. Look, <laughs> my PSA this week is about proper food health safety and hand hygiene. Stuff oh, we should have known because that because Sam is cutting the lemon. I should have glass. known that. And then he fully like wipes his forehead. He touches his face, and then he continues to chop the lemon. 
That is not proper food health safety hand hygiene. It's not. He should have washed his hands between touching his face and touching food again. You're 100% correct. That's a great PSA, food health safety. I I should have known that. (laughs) See, the great thing is Dean is also butchering things, but it doesn't matter because it's not food. So he can be as unhygienic as he wants. It doesn't matter. He's not going to serve that to people who are then going to get sick. I wonder if the demon blood comes out of his pores in the form of sweat. Like, is his sweat demon blood, like, tainted? That's not how blood works, Jamie. That's not how sweat works. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's, like, the the laws of biology entirely go out the window. It's fucking supernatural, they might. (laughs) To be fair, wouldn't be crazier than some of the actual plot lines in Supernatural. (laughs) PSA out of the way, I would also love to talk about Bert and Ernie, but... On a sort of tangential side note, I would like to point out the second instance of Lucifer appearing to people as their dead loved ones, specifically romantic inflection dead loved ones, to try and coerce them into doing stuff for him. Yes. I would just like to, that's number two. It's an interesting pattern that we're observing with Lucifer Yeah, and we're at the beginning of season five. We've only met Lucifer Three times? Three times. Yeah. He's done it twice already. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Again, very, like, interesting tactic. We could almost call it his MO at this point. But also, (laughs) sorry, I just had a thought. You just pointed out before that, like, Lucifer is technically an angel, therefore he is capable of time travel. Mm -hmm. What's the bet he just travelled back in time to kill Nick's family? Honestly, solid theory. And, like, technically he's not lying to Nick if he wants to take that angle of, like, I would never lie or whatever. Like, he's not. His family did die. They were brutally murdered. So just because Lucifer was the one that did it, like, you know, it doesn't change that story. Again, that technicality piece. As long as you make it fit within the guidelines, you can do whatever the hell you want. It really ties quite nicely into something that you've talked about before, Jamie, which is plausible deniability, Mm. which is, like, Mm. I think specifically our episode on monster at the end of this book just came out and i think you talked about it a lot in that episode because Cass has the plausible deniability of you know the loophole of um the archangel and chuck and also lilith has the plausible deniability in the deal that she proposes to sam which has like a bunch of loopholes in it so i think that that ties in here nicely as well with lucifer because yeah like the plausible deniability of him being like oh your family was brutally murdered wasn't me i don't know anyone could have murdered them I've been locked in a cage. Yeah. (laughs) How could I have done it? At the time, I was locked in a cage. He's like, I have a rock-solid alibi. (laughs) I was locked in a cage. And like, yeah, technically you were, except you just failed to mention that you're also capable of time travel. Mm -hmm. Anywho, did you have somewhere you would like to start (laughs) with the next topic of conversation, Jamie? I have places that I want to go, (laughs) but I, I don't know where the best start to the journey is. If you're still undecided, I do have one quick note that is important to Go the war. We have been making lots of jokes in this podcast about Twilight. And we did at one point, I think in like season one, maybe season two, early days, have a conversation about whether or not Twilight was canon in the supernatural universe. And I said, yes, I'm pretty sure it is. We do finally have Twilight canonification in this mm-hmm. episode. Dean makes a reference to the vampire he's killing, eat at Twilight, which implies that yes, Twilight doesn't exist in Supernatural. Also, Dean is aware of it. Aware enough of it to make a reference. Yeah. He <laughs> does with pop culture regularly. Usually pop culture that he enjoys. Enjoys, yeah. 
you can't tell me that it would not be a guilty pleasure of his to read about he loves monster movies. He loves anything to do with monsters. The immortal, all-knowing, cold being who falls in love with the one blind <laughs> <I laughs> human know. who watches him her sleep. <laughs> I think Dean likes Twilight because it's like bad. Like I think he likes watching <laughs> yeah. monster movies to be like, that's not how real vampires work. <laughs> the whole premise of Hollywood Babylon, like yes. Yeah. That he loves terrible monster movies. I just realized that I forgot a note in our Sam section, so I'm really going to quickly mention that and then I'm going to link it back to our Bert and Ernie section. Okay. They give him the red duvet cover in the hotel room. It's red. And I'm like, mm. oh, wow. So we're just giving up on, like, subtle co- color symbolism here. Yeah, there's also a bunch of red overhanging lights, lights in the bar. Red. And, yeah, there's, like, a bunch of it. The duvet cover was just the the note that I made because it's the first one we see. It's, like, completely blood red, which is an odd choice for a motel to have a blood mm. red quilt cover and then yeah so we get like all of that color symbolism and then we also get the line from Cass they describe when Raphael like the angelic presence as pure white light Mm -hmm. which ties into a color significance theory that I have which is that angels are pure white light and Cass specifically is blue and it's something that I love and I I fully agree like there is, I think, you could argue at this point, a pretty clear distinction between color that symbolizes Cass versus color that symbolizes, like, the host. Cass is differentiated pretty quickly. Like, at the very beginning, there's more of him being just sort of angelic in general. As soon as he starts to rebel, you actually get, like, color. And we do get Dean fixing Cass's blue tie in this episode. We do. Which also, <laughs> also like, blue as a color, like, relating to, you know, like wide open skies, which is very connected to the idea of freedom. I'm pretty sure it's also associated with the concept of the truth. I might be wrong in that, but I feel like I've heard at some point, like color, like psychology, I'm pretty sure it's associated with like truth or like someone being trustful. I don't think that's a unique to blue Mm. symbolism thing, but it is certainly something that does apply to blue. blue. Yeah. So like, I don't think it's like exclusively blue is trustworthy because I would argue that you'd also put green into the trustworthy yeah. Yeah. category just because of its association with like correct and good. Oh my and... god, it's like green and blue. Like, oh my god, what a funny little color. I wonder color. who could symbolize green <laughs> in this story. You know, I just I can't seem to think about it. Like I it's not coming to my mind. Like I'm just I'm not quite sure, but I I feel like there's a character in the show that's really closely associated with green. green. Yeah, crazy about that. Anyway, yeah. moving <laughs> anyway, on. Bert and Ernie. <laughs> oh, okay. I have a question actually on this, and it's stupid, but I need to know if we have an answer. Who is Bert? Who is Ernie? Do we have Ooh. opinions on this? Because I've never thought about it, but I'm interested to know. No, I have a, I have a, I have a strong opinion on this. Cass is Bert and Dean is Ernie, especially early seasons. I think later seasons you could make a different argument, but Bert is very like he gets stoic. ruffled. He's very <laughs> stoic. He gets ruffled when his buttons are pushed. He likes to have things kind of in order, mm-hmm. and Ernie is like all sorts of chaos and mostly just like keeps running into Bert's life and being like, "Haha, I'm here now." Do you know what's so funny? Is I have the exact same thought process, but in the exact opposite. I think that Cass is Ernie and Dean is Bert. <laughs> I, I, I don't remember enough about Bert. I'm actually literally Googling Bert and Ernie I'm gonna, right now I'm gonna to try and work out which fucking Muppet is which. This is like sitting, literally, this is sitting opposite me on the side you can't see. But this is... Oh my God. This is a piece of art that literally sits across from my desk, like sits up against my window. I see it when I'm... 
For those who can't see what we're currently seeing, it is a beautiful painting of a rainbow pride flag with Bert and Ernie on the front of it. And (laughs) if we may maybe get a copy of a picture of that to put as our announcement tweet, that would be iconic. (laughs) Absolutely. And this was, this piece of art was directly inspired from the quote, Bert and Ernie are gay. (laughs) Very directly, specifically. Also because I grew up loving Sesame Street. It just really works out well. Okay, upon Googling, I think my opinion has to be that Cass's Ernie and Dina's Bert, simply because Bert constantly looks concerned. And Ernie's out here fucking around and finding out. I... Every time Cass does something, Dean's reaction is like, you did what? <laughs> I think maybe it's the opposite, though, because I think that, like, that's what Cass's reaction is whenever Dean does anything. Do you know what's really funny is maybe they're just interchangeable because we've had the same thought process, but we're just attributing it to the opposite characters. True, that's true. Maybe they just both really, really mess with the other person's perception of reality. I feel like maybe yeah. maybe it's the sort of thing where like episode to episode it switches. Do you know what's funny? Actually? That's probably accurate. I think what it is, and like part of it is that we have ten seasons worth of content to kind yeah. of actually eleven seasons worth of content to look at. So, and obviously you haven't seen all no. that, which is going to impact your perception. But I think it might be. That both of them think that they're Bert. They feel like Bert internally. <laughs> but they're also both fucking with the other person like they're Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> also, I would argue that Cass is Ernie because he would be fascinated by Robert Art. That's a good that's, point. Actually. That's a good, like, external to their, like, way of relating to each other. And in, in for that, Dean is very, like, organized in his, like physical space which is a very burnt sort of which thing. is what i'm thinking like as soon as you were saying yeah. about okay. like everything in okay. order i was like yeah that's a good point actually <laughs> okay yeah there's a big joke on um like in the leverage fandom that every single member of the team thinks they're the normal ones it's it's the exact <laughs> same concept but here like it's like sam like sam thinks he's the normal one he's not he <laughs> thinks he's the normal one he's not Cass thinks he's the normal one he's not the normal <laughs> one is meg the one that would never in a million years say she's normal. Yeah. Mm. She's actually normal. Okay. I'm so glad that I, I'm so glad that we could agree <laughs> that we don't know which one is which. <laughs> but solid arguments can be made for both, which is fascinating. Yeah. I think honestly, maybe we do a Twitter poll. Maybe we let, maybe we let Twitter decide. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll put it to the people. <laughs> Where I you have a note and I can't remember what it specifically relates to. Like, I know there's a, I should have taken down the actual quote, but I made a note about how we all know from 414 that what he really wants is a new younger brother. And I cannot remember what that note is in relation to. What are the notes on either side? Hulk out how buff is Sam actually and demon blood hallucinations. So it's obviously when they cut to and from the Dean storyline to... Is it about the scene in the car where he's talking about like, I've never, I haven't had this much fun with Sam in years? Yes! That is exactly what it's about. That's what reminds me. That's the parallel. <laughs> Dean obviously talks about how he's having more fun with Cass than he ever had with Seb, which mm-hmm. immediately after that, Cass ghosts him because he doesn't do no. emotional. <laughs> Cass is like, actually, no. <laughs> actually, I've got the quote, so I'll just, I'll give it quickly so yeah. people know exactly. Dean says, I'm good. I'm really good, especially without my brother. I spend so much time worrying about him. I've had more fun in the last 24 hours with you than I've had with Sam in years. And you're not that much fun. But what we know from 414 is what Dean wants really is it is another younger brother. Like he wants a better <laughs> younger brother. So obviously Cass is the replacement younger brother. I know he's older than him by like a couple of millennia, but he still fulfills the younger brother role. I hate you. 
Yeah, the burden on your gay comment means nothing. Thelma and Louise also doesn't mean anything else. Every, just re- disregard everything else in the episode. It's a totally normal way to treat your replacement younger brother. I don't know if I'm going to be able to leave this in. Because <laughs> I know you're kidding. <laughs> but I don't know if that's going to come across. Oh, we get the return of Emperor Palpatine Lightning. We do. This time in the form of like angel wings. Yes. Mm-hmm. And my note about it was that I love the concept. I just wish the effect had aged better. Mm. Like, I think yeah. it's very cool. Yeah, because yeah, it looks like pa- yeah. Palpatine Lightning. And like- I would argue, though, that it's not the worst special effect I've ever used, though. 2009, like, I'm like, it ages well, fine. It's fine. The concept is cool enough that, like, the execution being kind of dodgy, that it's okay. Okay, so obviously they do the thing where they, like, Cass speaks the ritual into this dude's ear. Yeah, that's Enochian. Enochian, etc. And then they do the fake out of like, oh, well, we thought he would appear back in this body in the wheelchair or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Dean goes, that's a day wasted or whatever. Yeah, I love the quote. What's the average customer wait time to speak to an archangel? And then they go back to like the abandoned house where they're squatting. And of course, Raphael's there. Raphael's dead, dead center of this circle that they have drawn on the floor ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> which is really like really fucking what if like Raphael was like I'm gonna be a dramatic bitch and be at the top of the stairs like did they just have like random like circles all around the house like how the fuck do they manage to perfectly predict things like because if he was a meter to the left <laughs> he's not in a circle anymore yeah. I, one I love the concept that there is like 30 different circles throughout the house I do that think- whole house is gonna burn up that whole building is going to burn <laughs> up once they leave because it's everything's gonna catch fire but I think it's likely that they had at least a couple of circles around the house because it just sort of is like, it increases the statistical chance that they'll be able to catch Raphael the way they're yeah. planning to. But I think that the idea is once they know kind of roughly where he is, they will lure him into the position they want because that's exactly what Dean does. Yeah. He strategically moves across the room to get the beer, quote unquote, like that's not his motive. Like it's just convenient for him. Yeah. And he's luring Raphael towards him, which, by the way, turning his back on Raphael in that moment, fucking yeah. power move. Like, Jesus. Dean's a little shit in these scenes with Raphael in the best sort of way. Like, his dialogue, they have the theory that, like, Raphael can't kill him because he's Michael's true vessel or whatever. Mm. Like, do you think the reason, because, like, obviously Sam's like, well, I'll just die so I don't have to be Lucifer's vessel. And Lucifer's like, hey, I'll bring you back. Like, obviously, the angels could pull that same sort of power move, but do you think it's maybe because they know that if he does die, there's a chance he goes to hell and they're not necessarily going to be able to get him out of hell again? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, that could be why. I had more thought of it from a sense that they wouldn't want to piss off Michael. I think that's more of it. It's, like, more of the power dynamics in heaven of, like, you don't want to be the angel that killed Michael's vessel. Like, yeah, Yeah. Michael's just going to bring him back, but Michael's probably also going to smite you in the process. Yeah, but I do love... The concept of like he would just go back to hell and then Cass would have to be like I'm gonna go get him again <laughs> but obviously this time the apocalypse has started he if he did get sent back to hell he'd be more heavily guarded than he was the first oh, time he was in hell million percent yeah honestly they'd like, probably put him in Lucifer's now empty cage like they'd be motivated to keep him out of Michael's hands yeah I feel like I've actually heard something about a Winchester brother getting put in Lucifer's cage Oh, really? <laughs> I, I feel like it's the third Winchester brother, though. Something about uh, Adam getting shoved in Lucifer's cage, I have a feeling. Is that like an osmosis? Yeah, I think that's an osmosis thing. It's oh. like, it's you know how there are some things by osmosis that I'm like, I'm 100% certain about. Like, I know right. Dean dies because he gets impaled by Reba. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> and, and you know what? Honestly, if you were on the internet at all, 
In there is no way for me to not know that with 100% certainty. Mm -hmm. And then there's other things where it's like, I'm pretty sure. Like, I was pretty sure that the way they introduced Cass was in 401 when, like, Dean back from hell. So, like... You're pretty sure that at and, some point... And then, and then like, yeah. And then, then this one is, like, the step down from that. It's, like... Slightly less sure, but you put it enough that... Yeah, well, I feel like there was some sort of, like, hot sauce that the dude who plays him... <laughs> Jake Abel. Yeah, Jake Abel released... And I had like the imagery of him being stuck in a cage. <laughs> I personally don't actually no know. No idea like, what I you're talking that, about. I know that there was a thing with him and hot sauce, but I actually don't know enough about it to know if you're right in that, which is hilarious for me personally that you know more about it. I, yeah, I have a, also a vague, vague sense of this, but not uh, that specific. Not as specific yeah. as JB does. One thing that I want to quickly mention about the angels, and particularly in this scene, I think it becomes abundantly clear, is that literally all of the angels fucking hate Dean, except Cass, and, like, maybe Anna. Like, I just think it's so funny. Like, all of them are like, this little shit is the fucking thorn in my side, the gum under my shoe. I and hate I him. And I can't even kill him. And yeah. I cannot even kill him. So the worst I can really do is kind of threaten. But he still kind of has this power over me because he's Michael's fucking vessel. It's like it's your older brother's like pet and the pet's like super <laughs> annoying. But you're like, you can't do anything to the pet because your yeah. older brother will kill you. It's the pet cat or something that's like pissing on every possible fabric Everything surface you that own. you have in your bedroom. Yeah. And you just can't do anything about it. It's wrecking, it's wrecking all your toys. It's ruining all your fun. None of your friends will come over anymore because <laughs> it scratches them all. And you're just like, I'm subject to the whims of this cat. And then there's Cass who's like, this cat is my new best friend. And in fact, we now have inside jokes and go on side quests together. That analogy works perfectly because of the scene in 422 when Dean pushes the angel statue off of that pedestal. <laughs> Actual cat, Dean Winchester. I mean, if, if, if Dean is, a, if Dean is a, a, an animal, a household animal, he's definitely a cat. That's like well established. Okay, sorry. I have nothing more to add to this topic. Do you mind if I pull a little switcheroo? We get the quote from Dean that this entire industry runs on absent fathers. He's mm -hmm. talking about like prostitution and strippers. So like Dean stripper AU Ben. They do exist. I have read one. <laughs> it was quite good. I do not remember who it was by, but it was quite good. Here's the thing. I also wanted to make a note about this. We've had quite extensive now discussions, particularly in after school special mm. about the concept of Dean and early life prostitution. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that this particular quote is interesting towards that discussion as well. Considering also later in the episodes, he again talks about like absent fathers and like he, and he makes that connection distinctly to himself mm -hmm. after having made that comment earlier in the episode. And like, in terms of a writing choice from the writers, like, to go meta on it the fact that they stick both these quotes from dean talking about absent fathers in the same episode is what's interesting, interesting to me though is like in my brain when i go yes absent fathers stripper au i can see dean in that situation and i can see Cass in that situation but i don't see sam in the same situation yeah i agree because for me like it like sam doesn't have the same absent father complex that the other two have mm. because he had dean sam has it in a different way like sam yeah. has a, a Again, I don't think Sam experiences John's absence mm. so much as he experiences his presence in a, in a harmful way. Mm -hmm. We talked about this in our episode on 419. We talked about how, like, 
part of the way they both react to Adam is based on their different experiences and like Ian's you know they're both trying to right their childhood wrongs because they have a totally different experience of John it's almost like John's absence was the standout to Dean because John's absence meant that he had so much more responsibility placed on him to take more charge of Sam. Whereas Sam's sort of notion of John's absence is more clear when John is actually around because when John wasn't around, he had Dean as his primary caregiver, which is, I would argue, a much more enjoyable experience than any time John was actually around. So, like, I think that Dean has a higher focus on John's absences whereas Sam has a higher focus on John's actual presence yeah exactly exactly that's what caused the most harm for Sam whether John was there or not Dean was still an active parent for him yeah it's just like when John was there John was actively fucking abusive Mm. yeah to both of them so when John is there he's getting sort of actively abused whereas when John's not there he's just got Dean and Dean still fulfills like the parental figure role yeah they're more being passively abused yeah and Dean, when John's there, Dean still has to be responsible for Sam. Yeah. But he's he doesn't feel it in quite the same way. He the absence is is more significant to him because of how much responsibility for Sam's like literal life and safety. And we did yeah. talk about in um Jump the Shark how both of them yeah. when they meet the third younger brother, like they both sort of mirror what they see as their quote unquote father figures. Sam immediately goes to mirror John. But yeah. Dean goes to mirror sort of like a more Bobby-centered approach. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, because Dean's concept of family is very, like, Sam has a very biologically specific definition of what a family member is, whereas, yeah, Dean has a much more, like, found family approach, which is less focused on the biological and more focused on the emotional sense of what is a family member. And that definitely comes from Bobby. Especially at this point, like, I would say earlier in earlier seasons, specifically in, like, season one, like, pre-John's death, He's a lot more, he's a lot more traditional, but but once he gets some, like the more distance, we've talked about this in our show a ton of like, the more distance Dean gets from John, the more he like recognizes that John was a shitty parent. And the more yeah. distance Sam gets from John, the more Sam seems to be like, well, he was doing his best. To be fair, that also fluctuates between writers too, because some writers oh, have, true. will write John as a like, you know, dad always did the best he could kind of thing. And some writers will be like, John was a fucking abusive piece of shit. And it's like. <laughs> and we love the writers that take the John was an abusive piece of shit. They were, that are the writers that are honest about his actions and their mm-hmm. interpretation, their correct interpretation. I don't mind when writers take the approach of like, John was trying his best as long as they also acknowledge the fact that his best was shit. It could still be the best he was capable of, but that doesn't mean it's actually good. It doesn't excuse it as what it is. It doesn't, like, mean that it wasn't abusive and shit. Exactly. It just means that, like... It was what he was capable of. Yeah. I realized that I forgot a piece of evidence for something that I said earlier on, so I'm gonna, like, tack it in here. So I was saying earlier, the hunters that, like, corner Sam and Bar say they're friends of his father, I assumed Bobby because also Sam recognizes the hunters. Oh, and we point. know from canon that John didn't introduce his sons to any other hunters. <laughs> That's a good point, so, actually. So, like, the reason yeah. why I jumped to it being Bobby was because if anyone was going to introduce Sam to these other hunters, it would have been Bobby. That's I'm glad you remembered that because I think that's actually probably the strongest piece of evidence for your argument is, yeah, because... Yeah, I like that. John isolated them. Like, that was John's whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, the fact that... Bobby would be the one to be like, hey, look at this network of people who could probably be helpful for you to know. 
Sorry, I just I remember that. That's good. No, I appreciate that you brought that up. I'm glad that that you added that. The hunters actually recognize Sam, and Sam actually recognizes the hunters, which says to me that they have met at some point. I personally have a lot more notes about the Bert and Ernie oh, yeah. side quest of this episode. Yeah, I have so many oh, notes yeah. about that. I was just trying to get out the actually important stuff so we can get onto the game stuff. The logistical plot stuff that we need yeah. to talk about before we get to the vibe. We need to talk about it because like we would be a bad rewatch podcast if we didn't talk about it. <laughs> and it's also kind of really crucial because it ties into a whole bunch of shit that I've been saying. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a great sort excuse of... for you to be obnoxious as hell. <laughs> and so I was like, we're definitely going to talk about the gay stuff. We have August on, whose entire podcast is fucking <laughs> called Queering Things. Like, <laughs> there is no way in hell we're not talking about the gay shit this episode. So I was like, we have to make sure we get out all of the other stuff first. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we will get derailed by the gay stuff and forget <laughs> to mention anything else. Every time I watch this episode, before I watch it, I think to myself, maybe it's not as like, especially early season scene cast. The thing is, early season scene cast, I constantly gaslight myself into being like, it's it's more subtle than you think it is. I'm so steeped in Destiel fandom that I like, especially with the podcast, I'm like, I need yeah. to see these clearly. And then I go back and watch this fucking shit. And I'm like, what is this episode? Yeah, it's like you've convinced yourself, you've convinced yourself that you're wearing rose-colored glasses when you're yeah. looking at Meta and when you're like talking to people and then you're like, okay, I have to remove the glasses for when I actually watch the episode because I've got to at least be a little objective and then you're watching it and you're like, I can still see the pink. Why? I've taken off the glasses. Why is the pink still here? And it's because it's not fucking glasses. It's just there. <laughs> yeah. And this was a, one of those moments re-watching it today where I was like, it's still there. We should start from the top of the episode. We get Cass appearing to Dean, and Dean is immediately like, personal space buddy, we've talked about this. So Cass backs off for approximately two minutes before he's two right minutes up- is a stretch. <laughs> before he's right up in Dean's face again. 45 seconds, maybe. <laughs> he's like, yes, I will, like, you have reminded me. Personal boundaries. Personal boundaries. Okay. I will back off. I will give you some space. But then he immediately, like, reneges on it. It does not last very long at all. No, and here's the other thing about that. First of all, I have a question. When did they talk about this? Obviously, it's implied off screen. But I want to know, what was the situation that necessitated that conversation? Like, how close did Cass get where Dean had to be like, buddy? (laughs) Like, we've talked about this. Not just I've told you this. We've talked. We've had a conversation. I sat you down and I explained to you the concept of a personal bubble. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but also after originally calling it out, Dean doesn't call him out again. For me, it seems like plausible deniability. It's being able to go, I asked him to back off and he didn't. So I've already done my like sort of required, required vanity. (laughs) My rebuff. I've, I've already rebuffed him. Oh, I guess at this point, there's nothing that I can do. He's just going to be that close to me. It's the no homo equivalent. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the thing about this, though, because, yeah, you're right. Cass immediately does get right back up in his face. But also, at the Thelma and Louise quote, which is a whole other fucking thing, by the way, Dean specifically walks into Cass's personal space as he is saying that. And I'm like, my dude, my bro, what do you think you're doing? (laughs) When Dean makes a pop culture reference, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's not like, this is not when like Cass makes a pop culture reference and Cass half the time does not know what he's talking about. He's just like quoting something back that he usually heard Dean say. But Oh my God, I'm Cass coded. Are you just now realizing this? (laughs) 
I was meaning specifically in that regard. Because, yeah, I looked a whole bunch of Supernatural references that I do not understand. <laughs> me say. Because I've heard, like, Beth say them or, like, August, maybe you've said that or, like, yeah. AJ said. <laughs> and here's, here's the thing, right? Because we talk about it as if Cass and Dean are these entities who actually are capable of cognizant thought. They're not. They're characters. People wrote this dialogue. And regardless yes. of whether Dean understands this reference or Cass understands this reference, <laughs> fucking Jeremy Carver clearly understood this motherfucking reference. While we're talking about Carver, I would like to add this episode as evidence that he doesn't care for Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're realizing that the episodes that Jeremy Carver wrote, Sam is just missing or doing something that's like technically important. But not all that like memorable. Like it's it's like he's an afterthought. It's like, oh, we need Sam mm-hmm. to technically do this. Everyone will forget about it. Like Sam can cut up a lemon, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I am now on the Jeremy Carver just doesn't, doesn't know like what Sam. to do with Sam train. If you watch any Jeremy Carver episode up to this point, he's done the bare minimum with Sam. I am going to, after this, go and look at the list of all the episodes he's written. Because he did what in oh, the beginning. Oh my yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I just went and pulled it up. Oh my god! Okay, and here's the thing. These episodes. Do you remember what Sam was doing? <laughs> Only if it was terrible and traumatic. Okay, because here's the other thing. Jamie asked me, "Does this hold up for a Jeremy Carver's era?" And she was like, "How does Sam hold up?" And I was like, "You know what? Seasons eight and nine, not great for Sam. I'm gonna be real with you. <laughs> not great for Sam. Not great for Sam." Anywho, point is, Jeremy Carver definitely understood the references he was making. Regardless if Cass understood them or if Dean was just talking out his ass, which, like, to be fair, he he does do, but, like, his pop culture references are specific, always specific. Also how he conceals, like, real feelings yeah. is by making pop culture references that actually are saying what he can't, you know, the boy is so emotionally constipated, he can't say the thing, but he can, like, make a funny little joke about it. I mean, and literally in that Thelma and Louis joke, he says, you know, we're just going to, like, hold hands and, and sail off, off this cliff together. together. And also, the look on Jensen's face. I don't know what the fuck he was going for. <laughs> Jacting Joyce's. The Jacting Joyce's are ludicrous. <laughs> Jacting Joyce's with Bethany. <laughs> All over this episode, the acting choices are... are Yeah. Interesting. Choices. Interesting. Oh, and this is not irrelevant, but I do think this is a good time to point it out. So we have that whole, like, montage where you're seeing Dean and Sam in their respective sort of places doing their respective jobs I do love that montage it's very fun it reminds me of at one point Jamie and I were talking about how it would have been interesting to see a montage of where Dean was and Sam was during Stanford era and that kind of concept of like literally Dean cutting off like a vampire's head and like Sam like making dinner or something like it would have been interesting and I forgot we got this montage so that was like a nice surprise I was like oh yeah I do love this it's a good little montage when as it ends like the song that's playing over I didn't look it up but I did take some of the lyrics Because as it's finishing, as it goes to Dean driving in the Impala, we get the lyrics, you'll find a woman, you'll find love, and don't forget, son, there is someone up above. And I was like, that is interesting. But there's not. God's dead. I love. We get told this episode, God's dead. The progression of Jamie's theories on where God is and who God is, even though she knows who God is and where he is, is it? (laughs) Your logic makes sense. Unfortunately, this is supernatural. So logic is really irrelevant. So, you know, sometimes that's helpful and sometimes it's really not. 
I've just realized that we've made a lot of jokes about Thelma and Louise and not everyone may know the relevance <laughs> of Thelma and Louise. So a very quick recap. I've actually never seen it, but oh I know. God, I actually had to do a scene of Thelma and Louise for drama class once. Oh my goodness. Well then would you like to explain the significance of what they're talking about? Okay. So quick rundown for anyone who hasn't ever seen Thelma and Louise. Basically, there are two best friends, Thelma and Louise. They decide to go on a road trip. I think one of them is married to a dude that's just like a dickhead. And so they're like, let's go on this like fun road trip together in this vintage car. Like, obviously, that's what Dean's going to reference. So they go on this road trip. And basically, along the way, I can't remember which one, but Thelma and Louise get like put in a position where she's about to get raped. So the other one shoots the dude and kills him. Mm -hmm. And then from there, they're basically like trying to run away to not get caught for the murder of this dude. When they realize that they're going to get caught for this murder anyway, they drive themselves off a cliff holding hands and everything is really clear coded. And they fully make out as they launch themselves off the cliff. Very interesting. Again, Dean with the like, I will make this reference, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to reference the kiss because that's too close to an actual admission. But I will say, hold hands and sail off this cliff. The underlying into implication being, we're also going to make out a little. Yeah. What else yeah. are we doing as we sail off this cliff? Like, and that's what we call subtext. <laughs> what is really interesting for me about the way that Dean and Cass's relationship evolves is that one of the things that Jamie was saying when I was asking, you know, how are you feeling about Cass? You know, obviously, like, he's a really, really popular character in fandom. I love him. August loves, like, basically all of our friends in fandom adore him. So I was, like, really excited to see what Jamie would think. One of the things that she said a lot was, like, I just don't feel like we're getting that much from him yet. Like, we're getting, like, five-minute cameos. We're just not really getting, like... We get him in such brief snippets and he sort of gets brainwashed halfway through. Like, it's hard to actually see who Cass is as a character, like his personality. Mm -hmm. In this episode, the change in the way that Dean and Cass relate to each other in this episode versus 422. In 422, they were having silent conversations of like, I'm about to rebel, don't fucking say a word, like kind of thing. And in this episode, they're having silent conversations about their inside joke about the fucking guy who ran away from his family because he hated working at the post office. Like, they have inside jokes now. <laughs> it's the difference between, like, collaborating strategically and communicating strategically and communicating with someone you, like, just genuinely really like and get along with and, like, you just connect with. I will also say, though, I do appreciate that look on Misha's face for this entire episode. Anytime you see Cass, the look on his face is full gay panic. Yeah. At every point of the episode, like, from the first scene to the scene where he just nopes out because it's everything is gay panic. Yeah. Everything is realising, ha I might be a little gay for my buddy. Dean's dropping all of these gay-ass references. Yeah. Like, Dean's dropping all these references. Dean's saying, I'm not going to let you die a virgin. Yeah, you we're going to motherfucking talk about this. It's like, <laughs> it's that look that you pull when you think you've been really subtle about being gay and then your friend gives, like, the it's okay to be gay speech. Like <laughs> Bobby at the end of 4.14. <laughs> that is the look that Cass has, has on his face the entire time. When, like, your best buddy who you've got a gay crush on is now mm -hmm. giving you the it's okay to be gay speech. And is also subtly indicating that maybe he is also gay. Here is the thing. It's so many fucking thoughts about this episode. I have so many all caps notes. <laughs> One of the last times that you were here with us, I was 4.9 and 4.10. You guessed yes. it with us. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, well, we and, meet Dean's love interest, Anna. Yes. And she gives him the last night on earth speech to which Dean says, oh, you're stealing my best line. And in this episode, Dean <laughs> says, so, last night on earth. <laughs> 
since then, quick note, the last time this happened, he did fuck an angel. <laughs> so just, it's canon in this in this episode that he did also fuck an angel. It's just implied on print. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, I think it's really interesting that he does the last night on earth thing and then Cass doesn't get it. So then yeah. he has to go explicit. Uh-huh. Then he just goes straight to like, we're not going to let you die a virgin. Insane choice. Insane. <laughs> and like, the thing is, then what he says is, there's two things I know for certain. One, burden earlier gay. <laughs> and two, you're not going to die a virgin. Not on my watch. Let's go. And I wrote, Dean, what are you saying? Because if someone said that to me, if I was cast, <laughs> I would be like, are we going to do fuck right now? Like, that would be my thought process. And if you look at Misha's face, I think Cass is also thinking, what do you mean? Also, if they do anything else other than where they actually go with that scene, if they cut to anything else, even with that, if you do, even the fact that they cut regardless, that gap of time is a whole hell of an implication. Oh, I know. It's bizarre. And especially because Dean's like, come on, like, let's go, like, get in the car where Cass knows is where he took Anna. Like, I just, <laughs> God. Do you think that Cass poor, jumped poor into the baby and then Dean was really fucking <laughs> He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, satisfy here, you can be in the front. One thing that I do want to say, though, that I do appreciate about that scene, other than all of the gay implications and the literal insanity of Jeremy Carver's brain, is I like that when Dean says, like, oh, like, surely you've been with a woman, he then clarifies, or an angel at least, because I like that it acknowledges that angels don't recognize gender the same way that humans do. I don't know if it was, like, intentional that they were doing that, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, because of the implication being that angels experience of gender is fundamentally different than humans anyway because they're in vessels and so if you're outside of vessels like what's an angel dean's trying to like grasp the idea of like fucking an angel um, yeah. or angels <laughs> fucking each other and he's just you know he's just grasping at whatever pieces of information he knows he's got a little bit of personal experience but not a lot so does Cass canonically fuck anyone at all ever in the series he does and dean has a totally normal reaction to finding out <laughs> Notably, I don't remember Sam's reaction at all. Sam's reaction was normal and human, and Dean's reaction <laughs> was to nearly choke to death. <laughs> but yes, no, I agree. I agree with Jamie's um, assessment of, of Misha's acting choices in this episode. Uh, he does look like he is in a constant state of gay panic. And I do appreciate that Cass, who will smite something within like an instant, looks fucking terrified the entire time this is all happening like he's truly experiencing that's the face of oh no my buddy just realized that i'm gay for him <laughs> and also dean is just sort of like dragging him around and he doesn't like peace out at any point he just like lets deans which we know he's not afraid to nope out because he nopes out at oh. the like the end of the episode he's just like nope i'm gone now bye i also think it's an interesting commentary on like the triangulation of desire Dean's like insistence on getting his body laid for like just because I'm just a good friend like that you know like (laughs) (laughs) but then the flip of like when that doesn't actually happen the flip to like really just focusing on like the fact that they had a really good time together and also Dean literally says this is the happiest he's been in years so canonically this is the happiest we have ever seen him yeah up to this point in canon he literally says it's been a long time since I laughed that hard, years. And I'm like, I don't think we've ever seen him laugh this hard. So like, unless it was it happened off screen, like, yeah, we could assume that during the series, we have never seen him have this much fun. And it's directly connected to him being with Cass. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and can we appreciate how happy Cass looks? Because we don't see Cass smile very much. But like the when Dean is laughing and like he's he like pats him on the back as they're like going to go around the other side of the car as they're leaving, the look on Cass's face where he like looks at him and like smiles like he's happy that he that Dean is happy and it's so cute because I'm like, yes, look at you experiencing a pure joy human emotion instead of the scary human emotions that you've had up to this point. Exactly. Like he hasn't had many opportunities to have a good time. You know, all of his free will has all been like cosmic stuff. Now he gets to have some free will in the sense of just like having fun. Oh my God. I think we briefly mentioned it before when we we're talking about the whole sex industry running on absent fathers, but the quote, I just looked her in the eyes and told her it wasn't her fault that her father, Gene, ran off. It was because he hated his job at the post office. And then of course, like this becomes their sort of inside joke later on when they're standing in front of Raphael and Dean, like they're talking about God leaving and Dean saying he didn't work at the post office, did he? And Cass looking at him like, are you fucking with me right now? Like you think you think you're so funny. Cass is like, this is literally an archangel in front of us. But then again, we've also yeah. established that Cass can't tell who has a sense of humor and who can't. Because I cannot believe he named Jurel as the funniest angel in the garrison when Zachariah's right fucking there. <laughs> I also just love the dynamic of Cass and Dean. This whole episode, specifically this portion where they're facing off with Raphael, literally everything about it just brings me so much joy. Like Raphael being pissed that he's been trapped in the holy fire and Dean being like, don't look at me, it was his idea. And like Cass being like, fuck her. Like, you know, like you're throwing me under the bus right now. <laughs> so funny how much Cass like adopts some of Dean's mannerisms and like way of speaking with Raphael like he fully throws himself in with Dean and you know the for now you're my little bitch like you are quoting Dean like that's that's not a that's not in any way your vernacular and it's so funny Dean then being like so proud being like yeah what he said like I did want to talk a little bit about, like, actually, seriously, that discussion that they have with Raphael. I want to hear what Jamie thinks thought of it. This seems like a lot of pressure. I have too many notes. Normally I have less notes, so it's easier to find specific notes. (laughs) So it's only pressure to find the correct notes. It's not pressure for you to have thoughts because you definitely have them. Oh, I wanted to talk about, specifically in regards to Raphael, Cass specifically says to Dean, it will be worse for you. Yes. Which I think is really key because like no other angel is going to tell him that because they're trying to sell Dean on the experience. And if the experience is you're going to end up catatonic in a wheelchair. At best. At best. uh, That's not going to happen. So it's sort of, it's interesting to see that like when Cass got yeeted out of Jimmy, Jimmy was still fairly functional. Like, yeah. Mind you, he wasn't great. Mentally, his health was a little bit... He was psychologically traumatized forever, yeah. (laughs) But, like, there is a difference between, like, trauma that you can heal from and trauma that you cannot heal from. So it's interesting that, like, the different levels of angels have different, like, implications in regards to what the vessel is like after the angel leaves. Mm. And I think that's really fascinating when you look at the way the angels are trying to sell D and the way Lucifer is trying to sell Sam. Michael and Lucifer, I'd argue the reason why they've been chosen is they're like a similar level of power. So like if this is what Raphael does, who is canonically less powerful than both Lucifer and Michael, if Sam and Dean do become the vessels, what's going to happen 
to their health. One of the other things is that we kind of find this out way down the track in season 12, actually, it is, is that angels will make sure that their vessels are looked after if they care about their vessels. Mm. Like that's, I think, another thing. Like I don't think Raphael gives a shit about whether or not his vessel survives because it's unimportant to him other than the fact that it fulfills his duty for it. Mm. It would be interesting then to see if the show actually does something with the whole theory of like the more an angel cares, the better the vessel is looked after. Because I would argue like Jimmy's not in great shape when Cass (laughs) gets yeeted out, but also like he's not in bad shape either. Like For the context, yeah. For the context. For everything he's been through at that point. Like like he's a little traumatized because I feel like that's kind of unavoidable, but like he's not physically harmed. And so if it's like that level of care, it'd be interesting to see like if we get more angels in the future who like either abandon vessels or get yuted out like Cass did, what their vessels are like and if they use that to sort of indicate what sort of person the angel is. Yeah, what kind of possessor they are, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. We will get some further. And using like the morality of them as it relates specifically to... You know how in the end of season four we saw the demon that Sam and Ruby had kidnapped sort of went dormant and mm. let the human sort of take charge. We do end up with instances where angels who are possessing humans have a more symbiotic relationship mm. where they will fluctuate between being like dormant. And so you you sort of get to see them working collaboratively. I don't know if you can tell me this. It might be massive spoilers. Okay. So if you say, no, I can't answer that, that's okay. I will respect your wishes. I won't be happy, but I will respect it. <laughs> Thank you. So we've gotten that Dean is the true vessel for Michael, right? And that Sam is the true vessel for Lucifer. Theoretically, could another angel possess them to prevent them from getting possessed by Michael and or Lucifer? Like, Ooh. could Cass be like, you know what? I'm going to leave Jimmy for a bit. Jump into Dean so that Dean cannot be possessed by Michael because there's already another angel occupying the vessel. It wouldn't be a foolproof. Technically, all Dean would have to do would be to, like, then say, I want Michael instead. You know, like, like, I don't think it would actually prevent. But if you had Dean give Cass permission and then Cass was in operation of the vessel, theoretically, would that hide Dean far enough in the subconscious that he couldn't give in to whatever michael was doing god i don't know august if you're thinking of the same stuff that i'm thinking yeah, of but I'm, I'm thinking, thinking of, of i'm thinking of the um the locked cool yes. room yeah. yes <laughs> yes yes because yeah. up till this the the previous things i said were not really were like just more theoretical that is now with what you're specifically saying jamie that's yeah here's here's the thing we can't really elaborate on it no that's because... a, and i was like i don't know if this is yeah. something that hits too close to like we get specific canonical confirmation either way and to know now is like a spoiler i don't even really know how to elaborate on it in any way but what i will say is just because someone is a vessel doesn't necessarily mean that any angel could inhabit it because like we know now that it is like a blood thing yeah so like i don't know if Cass could necessarily inhabit either sam or dean because they would need to have the correct bloodline and whether or not they are the correct bloodline is kind of like yeah they so, could be like they could be okay. somehow related so that to actually Jimmy. changes my thinking slightly because what i was sort of thinking is that like certain bloodlines are more powerful and it's, so it's sort of like oh if okay. you're like yeah no it's not about that it's about specific bloodlines. if you're like the a bloodline you can 
like you could be the vessel for anyone up to and including like say Michael but if you're a B bloodline you can only like you're only a compatible vessel for anyone up to and including yeah like I... Castia like you know like so it's not so much about like different bloodlines have different power tolerances sort of thing so the more powerful you are as an angel the fewer people could potentially be vessels for you I understand your theory but it, it's it's definitely specifically like a genealogy okay. thing. So it's it's not just like well, it's not just blood types and any archangels could thing. fit into anyone with like these two genealogy. It's like this specific archangel relates specifically to that bloodline there. Yes, obviously we have Lucifer possessing Nick, so we know that there is more than one bloodline that an angel could potentially possess. But we also know that there is a bloodline that suits them best because we know that. The concept of the true vessel, which will you will find out more. Clearly, there's a little bit of like wiggle room of like you can kind of force yourself into a vessel that doesn't perfectly fit, mm -hmm. but obviously it's a bad match. Yeah, and we get uh, Lucifer saying that Nick could literally spontaneously combust at any moment. There are like potential consequences to it. We do get examples of that of like angels being in vessels that are not. 100% suited and do you know what actually August I'm thinking about season nine and a particular possession yeah. that honestly kind of might prove us wrong a little bit depending on bloodlines because you know what I kind of wish I'd stop predicting shit for like six seasons from me. <laughs> you know what that would be handy I also think Supernatural is not necessarily good at following its own consistent in its in its lore I think they get worse at the like specificity of like vessel lores to be fair, don't you literally have the Lost Cannon jar on your show? <laughs> yes, we do. There's a lot of things in it, and we're in season five. Kind of tangentially related to this, while we're talking about angels and while we're talking about lore, we do get some new lore, and I just think that it's probably worth pointing out. So obviously we get the holy oil and the subsequent holy fire, so we now know that the angels, once they're trapped within a ring of it, they can't step out of it, otherwise they will die. So this is something that will continue to be used kind of the angelic version of like a demon trap like mm. it's sort of the equivalent i feel like we also had one other thing oh this is the other bit when Cass says to dean i need your help you're the only one who will help me please and dean's like okay which is honestly like quite a big deal for the both of them one Cass said please big learning curve for him and two dean was like yes i'll help you on this insane crusade big step for him but then Cass goes to zap quote-unquote Dean to where they need to go and Dean says last time you zapped me someplace I didn't poop for a week and I made a note this is a lore update I suppose <laughs> I hate it yes <laughs> I think the last time we had Cass specifically zap Dean somewhere I'm not sure if it was maybe 422 when they like kidnap him for the beautiful room or if it was maybe when they went back in time at the start of season doesn't four. he zap him out of the beautiful room as well yeah, I think it oh, would yeah, be 422. So, but anyway, I just think that's funny because they did not have to include that. But what it does lead to is them driving to Maine. And God, the, the things I would do, the money I would pay to know what the fuck that car ride was like. Like, did, were they just silent? Did they have a conversation? Did they revisit personal space? Like, I, I would love to they know. They had so many hours in the car to just talk. It makes me also think about like, a very specific scene from season 15 where they're talking about yes it makes me think about them talking about being in the car together I want to know if Dean did what I often do to Naomi which is play 
my music and very vocally explain the significance and importance of every single lyric. Oh, I feel like Dean absolutely <laughs> is doing that because Cass has probably never heard this music. Yeah, for me, it's Taylor Swift. For Dean, it would be Led Zeppelin, but I do feel like Cass got a thorough education. Which is also interesting if he is, it he is has a thorough education in Led, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin. Yep, you're right. That's very interesting. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if he knows about Led Zeppelin, then he doesn't need a mixtape of them, right? <laughs> Who knows, Jamie? Maybe, maybe knows it's the all... significance of Led Zeppelin. Yeah, <laughs> it's how they bonded. I do <laughs> love though that, like, you we get Dean Cass F- FBI. Yes, and iconic. Dean literally puts on a suit, and Cass he literally just straightens his tie. He's like <laughs> tan trench coat, FBI adjacent. I am kind of disappointed. I would have loved to see Cass in like an old suit of Dean's or something. So it was like slightly like... Dean without an aneurysm. <laughs> Talk about gay panic. That's why I want to see it. Like Dean being like, okay, yeah, no, you're like, this get up is not going to fly. So like he lends cast clothes, but the clothes are like slightly too big. I would love to see Dean take cast shopping. Get a montage, a little fashion montage. <laughs> No, I, I fully agree. I think that would have been very insane. And I, I do agree. I think Dean would have had an aneurysm seeing Cass wear his <laughs> clothes. I, actually, I did want to talk about this because when Dean is fixing his tie and he puts the badge in Cass's pocket, like Cass lets him, he doesn't even move. He just kind of goes, okay, I guess I'll just accept what's happening right now. And like Dean is again, right up in his personal space. Like he's doing up the fucking top button on his, like, you have to be relatively close to be doing that. You know what I would have found really fucking hilarious? If at that point Cass made a joke about personal space. Okay, that would have been adorable. I would have loved that. <laughs> it really reminded me of like, we talked about this with Naomi and 422, but like the concept of Cass being literally an immovable object, but he lets Dean move him. He lets it happen. Like he does not have to. He's like, I'm going to let you take the lead on this and sort of like, I'm going to be the newbie and I'm millennia old. <laughs> like. I also love the quote, when humans want something really, really bad, we lie because that's how you become president. <laughs> 2009. Oh, I, I had a line that I wanted to call out that we get earlier in the episode. It's not really relevant here, but it just that just reminded me of it. We get the line, I made some mistakes. I hurt a lot of people. Sam does this thing where he undersells stuff. <laughs> he wants to describe someone get hurt. Once. He wants to describe watching Jess burn to death on the ceiling as I saw someone get hurt once. So when he says like I hurt a lot of people, he means I accidentally kickstarted the apocalypse because I refused to listen to my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Yeah. Sam is so great at understating. It's one of his secret talents. I like he should really have it on his resume. Honestly, at this point, he was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Strategic talking. Also, I just wanted to quickly point out, speaking of strategically talking, when Cass and Dean are uh, interviewing the sheriff, first of all, the upside down badge gets me every fucking time. It's so funny. Like, Cass just, he's trying so hard. Also FBI. (laughs) When Cass fully just starts being like, oh yes, the angels and demons, they're skirmishing all over the earth. And (laughs) that whole little bit, like back and forth, Cass isn't getting the hint. They didn't talk. They clearly didn't talk about it. Before yeah, that. I love that Dean immediately goes like, "Ah, yes, internal demons." Instead of being like, "That's what they're calling the new game." Yeah, because you know what? <laughs> if it was a fucking game, that would make so much more sense. Like if they were like, "Oh yeah, the demons," like there are this new game coming up. 
Dean's more presently um, aware of internal demons. We all have our demons. <laughs> but yeah, and I do. Sam love... calls his Keith. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keith the demon. I do love that as soon as they get the relevant information, Cass feels it necessary to point out to Dean the relevant information as if he may have missed it. Like, I like that Dean assumed Cass's competence would be much higher. He's like, you know, this dude's literally an angel. We've also been working together for quite some time. Like, obviously, he's going to know how to behave in a professional situation. And he's going to remember that, like, humans generally don't know about angels and demons. And it's a bad idea to tell them. And then Cass is just like, yeah, I have no concept. He does, though, act 100% like, oh, my God, how could I have seen this coming? That Cass wouldn't know how to interact with people. It's like, do you remember the the start of the conversation that you literally had not even an hour ago? In which Cass is like, oh, so we just tell him the truth. <laughs> and you didn't think to follow up that Both with these are the things that we under no circumstances can tell normal people because they will not give us the information that we want. I just realized, is this, this is Cass's first hunt, right? Like canonically, baby's first hunt? I mean, he's kind of tangentially been on other hunts, but mm. like he hasn't been. I think when he, it's like a little bit more of like an actual case. Yeah, because I could almost argue it's um, a great pumpkin sandwich. Yeah. He shows up during hunts. He never does, like, the grunt work of a hunt, really. This is the first time he's done the grunt work of a hunt. Because you could argue he's sort of tangentially on the hunt in It's a Great Pumpkin. I mean, he's tangentially on a few hunts by that that logic. I think this is the first time he's doing something on a hunt that is not specifically angelic. Like, doesn't require him to be an angel to do any of the stuff he does on this hunt. He's just there for... It's also the first hunt that he's, like, the driving force behind. He's like, no, we've got to go on this hunt. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because he's the one who brings it to Dean, not the other way around. I want to quickly bring it back to Sam's plotline for a hot second, because I realize I do have a couple of other points. I have a couple of things I want to talk about left with Cass and Dean, but maybe let's segue for a minute. We'll have a little bit of a break and we'll dive back in. My first note is that Sam, when we see him scrolling through his phone, he has so many contacts. And I just think that that cannot be possible. Like, he should have five absolute max. Like, it should literally be, like, Dean, Bobby, maybe Cass, now that Cass has to use a phone, Joe, Ellen. Yeah, who else are you calling, Sam? Yeah, exactly. Like, Ruby's gone. So See, not I Ruby. put it down to, like, they're just, like, all of the old people, like, all of his old contacts from when he was at Stanford. Sam just has never cleaned out his phone. Every group project he ever had, he has oh, been, like, Actually, that's a good point. I have so many old group chats and like contacts that are just people I worked with for like two weeks through a uni course. But the other thing I want to talk about is Lindsay. Lindsay does, one, does not know how to take a hint, but also... Lindsay's a caricature. She doesn't make any sense as a real person. No, she makes literally zero sense. She has a line where she says to Sam when he finally does have dinner with her, she's like, I don't mean to pry. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you don't mean to pry? That is all you've done. This entire episode, that has been your entire purpose. Is this dinner cry. was predicated on, we're going to have dinner and you're going to tell me your life story. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she says that exactly. Lunacy, honestly. Which, honestly, if he doesn't want to tell you, then leave that's alone. a red flag. Yeah. Like, leave him <laughs> well, alone. That. A, leave him alone. A, leave him alone. Consent's important. Yeah. B, if he doesn't want to tell you, there's probably something that's a red flag. That's just... And I love that she straight up asks if he's in witness protection as if he could tell her if he was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I have one tiny thing. Can I whack it in here? Absolutely. 
We see Sam hitchhiking again, which <laughs> is not important. It's just a recurring theme of this podcast <laughs> of us being confused about how often hitchhiking is a thing because I feel like that's an easy way to get murdered. Well, also, it's really interesting because whenever Dean is in that situation, he always hotwires a car, but Sam always hitchhikes. It doesn't make sense to me that Sam would not know how to hotwire a car because we also do see him hotwire cars. I wonder if it's like every time he leaves with the intention of quote-unquote getting out of the life he's like I'm gonna go down the straight and narrow like I'm not gonna steal a car I'm just gonna ask a friendly civilian to drive me and maybe get murdered he did the same thing with Scarecrow was it with Meg yep and Stanford and like he gets like a quote-unquote like real job he's not at the bar to hustle pool he's at the bar actually working way to choose the thing that you just seem like you're absolutely miserable doing like what was your what was his long-term plan Sam's like, I want to be normal, so I'm going to work in hospitality retail. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's hilarious about that, though, is we've already established that Sam is bad at customer service. Terrible. Last time he was in a customer service role, he had a meltdown and smashed his office apart with a crowbar he had under his <laughs> desk. Like, he doesn't have a great track record. So I would like to end us on a discussion of John versus God versus Dean, versus Michael, versus Sam, versus Lucifer. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have wanted to talk to Jamie about this for so long and like we'll maybe do the full discussion at a later day when we've had a little bit more time to develop the concept of them as vessels, but I do want to point out a couple of the quotes that we get from specifically Dean and Raphael. We get Raphael being like, be careful, that's my father you're talking about. And Dean says, who would be so proud that his sons went and started the apocalypse. And I'm like, you're right. John would be so proud of his sons that went and started the apocalypse, just like God would be so proud. Yeah, at the end of the day, honestly, yeah. And then Raphael, who goes, who ran off and disappeared, who left no instructions. And I'm like, wow, this sounds super familiar for some I, reason. I feel like that was the plot of a, a television show. Yeah, you know, we had a whole season about about looking for a parent who, who ran off, off and left no instructions or any indication that they were okay they were just in hiding yeah you know and then and then in and both you know, instances they... i'm pretty sure their children inadvertently or not did start the apocalypse i also feel like those <laughs> children also assumed that the parent was dead for a bit there mm. Yeah, it's a reasonable assumption that, oh, guess what? They're not here to help us. I guess we're stuck on our own. So if they'd left instructions, maybe the apocalypse wouldn't have been started. Mm, maybe we could have had a head start. Maybe it could have been averted. Anywho, just some fun things that I noticed. <laughs> but then specifically, because we're if we're putting this in the analogy of like the archangel specifically are like the eldest siblings in this scenario right they have the control over the sort of delegates Cass is the youngest child he's the youngest child but I feel like he actually I don't know if we really have different ages for angels I feel like maybe the implication is they were all created kind of simultaneously or at least very it's more close like together rankings, I think I think it's more rankings than ages so the higher the ranking the older you are uh, in this analogy, yeah, I'd assume. So, I think yeah. the archangels would have been created before Jeffrey I am sort of clueless about angel structures. So, like, where does Cass sit on the pyramid of angels? Cass is a seraph. <laughs> yeah. So he would be below an archangel but above, like, a cupid. Okay, so he's the middle child. I guess. In this analogy, he's a middle child. When you look at Cass, well, I mean, look, think about Cass for a few minutes <laughs> and, go, and go, did you not see middle child from Cass? I love that with... 
how Sam and Dean, we do fill the trifecta of the eldest child, the middle child, and the youngest child. <laughs> we then get from Raphael, which is why I wanted to point out like the eldest sibling kind of hierarchy, the line, we're tired, we just want it to be over. This is something that Dean has echoed for seasons now, particularly he says almost this exact line of regarding himself back in Krolitoan, and it is something that crops up. We've talked about it in terms of like suicidal ideation. I think that it's a similar enough parallel to draw. It is almost word for word, the line that Dean said. It's amazing. Jeremy Carver sometimes just puts so much thought into running one of these characters. <laughs> just one. Just one. <laughs> but then Dean comes back with what? So God dies, makes you the boss, and you think you can just do whatever you want. And Raphael says, yes, and we get like what we want, we get. Then like beyond this scene, we then have the sort of end discussion with Dean and Cass, which we already touched on, but I do just want to recap it. Dean asks Cass if he's okay, which I also think is maybe the first time Dean's ever checked in on Cass's well-being, just generally speaking, which is a bit, which is interesting development for them. He knows Cass has emotions now, I think. He's getting that more and more. Yeah. And so he says, look, I'll be the first to say this little crusade of yours is nuts, but I do know something about missing fathers. There were times when I was looking for my dad when all logic said that he was dead and I knew in my heart that he was alive. Who cares what some ninja turtle says, Cass? What do you believe? And then Cass is like, I believe that he's alive. And so I just think that it's worth pointing out the similarities in that family structure and the way that you can kind of relate it to, like I said, way back in season one. Well, I mean, freaking Dean relates it. Yeah, exactly. He literally yeah. says that like everyone was saying, my, telling me my father is dead. And God, that had been true. <laughs> he's like, everyone's telling me my father's dead. He isn't. I am later going to find out that he was a dick. So this is in your future cast. Yeah. And like, it is, I think, really interesting that we sort of get that. Like I said to Jamie way back in season one, that John is the God equivalent to Sam and Dean. And that, like, mm-hmm. absolutely. This is just the text pointing that out explicitly rather than it just being alluded to. But then we also get, I think, what is very, very interesting. The line that Dean says that I've been so changed in my family. Now that I'm alone, hell, I'm happy. And, like, I think that is interesting because, like I said, like, we've never really seen Cass express any kind of happy, joyous emotion until this episode, which is the first episode where he's really, really separated from his family. He is actively taking steps to rebel in a way that we can see on screen and not just, like, in little five-minute cameos. And it is also the first time we see him happy. And I think it's just interesting to have those kind of parallels laid out very explicitly. Oh, uh, Jamie, I do have one final question for you. Absolutely not. Oh, fuck her, then. <laughs> Raphael suggested that potentially God didn't raise Cass, Lucifer did, because Lucifer is looking mm. for any rebellious angels he can get. Yes. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, or emotions regarding this? I doubt that Lucifer raised Cass. Okay. Theoretically, yeah, Lucifer could have raised Cass. The math is mathing. The math is mathing. Like, that makes sense. But also, they're, they're saying that any rebellious angels will lead into Lucifer's cause. I don't necessarily believe that logic is true. Okay. Well, and Cass is so aligned with has been so clearly aligned with Dean. Yeah. And Dean is Michael's vessel. So if Lucifer has picked up on any of that, it would not make sense for him to raise Cass. Yeah. Lucifer's read the inscriptions on their ribs and Lucifer knows where Cass's loyalty is lying. <laughs> yeah. So he knows that like just because Cass is not loyal to heaven doesn't necessarily mean that he'll support his cause. Like it's not like a Uriel sort of situation where Uriel was like, I guess God's dead. I'm going to defect to Lucifer. Time to find myself a new daddy. <laughs> Yeah, Cass is not looking for that the same way. Cass is still looking after looking for God. And barring that, he's aligned with free will and, and Dean. Humanity. 
Cool. That was the last thing that I wanted to touch on. Is everyone else also tapped out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Jamie, how would you rate 503, free to be you and me, out of five? I'm going to give it a four out of five. Okay. Okay. It's not my favorite episode of all time. That's still... Bad Day at Black Rock. Bad Day at Black Rock. That's my highest rated episode so far. This one is just like, it's like a, hmm, makes you think episode, isn't it? And <laughs> this episode makes me feel unhinged and insane. It was um, very fun. So for Jamie, of- makes me think is, is about the right scaling. Yeah. <laughs> of the Supernatural episodes, I enjoyed it more than an average episode. Would you yeah. willingly rewatch it? Only if someone wanted us to guest on their podcast. Okay. Though. Okay, but she didn't say no. That's pretty much your only criteria for rewatching any episode. Yeah. <laughs> the next episode is titled The End. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, predictions, fears, hopes, dreams, etc.? I think we're going to see Chuck again. Oh, okay. Just because The End makes me think of like a book. Okay. And so I, I think we're going to get Chuck again. Because like if the title is like a literary reference to like, you know, the end of the book. Mm-hmm. I, I think it makes sense to think that we're going to see Chuck there. Okay. Seems like a fair argument. I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, the apocalypse stuff is going to kick up a notch. We're getting closer to the end. Yeah. And that's what's up. But that's sort of, they're, they're my thoughts. I don't have too much else. It's a yeah. bit of a vague title. To be fair, it doesn't give you a lot. No. It's a pretty non-expressive title. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sure that it will make sense to the episode because it's the sort of title that's really hard to not make sense to the episode. But it also doesn't give you... It's appropriately titled, yeah. but, like, you have to watch the episode to understand why. It's vague. And I would understand why they would want a vague title for this episode. I know I'm not going to hear the podcast episode for that one for a while, but I do expect to hear about that episode. <laughs> I'll, like, live message you as I watch it. You'll get spoilers before battle. This is one of the ones where I would be very, very pleased about that. Instead of typing your notes into, like, a notes I'll app. I'll just message just August. Put it like, in August's DMs. Honestly? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the next question that is one that I have introduced this season or like at the end of season four is do we think we're going to get cast content in next week's episode? I want to say yes, but mm-hmm. also we've had cast the last, what, like three episodes in a row? Yeah, they so really like, upped Misha's contract for this season. <laughs> yeah, like I just, I don't know how much they upped his contract by. So I want to say yes, it seems like after this episode, he kind of has to be there. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make any sense for him to like nope out on Dean. Yeah. immediately after this ending but then again he did no power he did no power at the end of this episode and it's kind of like is his gay panic gonna hold him out for the next episode <laughs> i guess you will just have to wait and see so that brings us to the end end of the episode thank you so very much for listening august thank you for joining us as always it yes. was a delight if anyone listening would like to hear more from August, you can always find them over on Saving People Queering Things or over on Wayward Parents podcast. We will put links to both in the description below. August, is there anything that you want to plug in particular or are you happy with that? No, I'm, I'm very happy with that. Thank you again. If you wanted to get in touch with either Jamie or myself, you can find us on any of our socials. Again, all of the links will be in the description below and any potential topics for conversation could include... Oh, your top 10 moments of Beth gaslighting the fucking shit out of me. Actually, yeah. I'd be Obviously, interested. you can't, like, just send, like, redacted if it's Spoiler one that free. I have another relevant reveal for Spoiler you. Spoiler free, yeah. But, like, there's there's a whole bunch that you could list that I, I know because, I like, we've had the reveals already. <laughs> for me, this was just particularly the most egregious. 
<laughs> I think it's very funny that you think this is the most egregious. Yeah. Of the ones you've had so Not far. Not the demon like, blood. <laughs> well, here's yeah. the thing. Like, I wasn't being serious about the demon blood. I was fucking <laughs> around. So I don't really count it as gaslighting the same way because it's like, I, I was having a joke. She was having a joke. Okay, we're joking. That's fine. <laughs> I was deadly serious about like, oh, yeah, no, the parallels don't work with this random fucking dude as Lucifer. And she was fully going, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Supernatural's bad. And like, so she was feeding into my confirmation bias. She was confirming something that I already knew. That is gaslighting at the highest form. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm also I feel really like, not. August, you don't really understand how bad it was because, like, <laughs> this has been going on for the last half a dozen episodes that we have not yet released. I love this. I'm excited to listen to them all and fully appreciate the extent of your experience, Jamie. I do think it's very funny. Thank you for validating my <laughs> gaslighting tactics. I, <laughs> I really need that. All for the content, right? All for the, the pod content. Exactly. I would also love to hear people's opinions on if you think Dean and Cass are more Bert or Ernie coded respectively. Yeah. I yes. think we will do a Twitter poll. Yeah, as part of the release, I'll be tweeting. Please vote, but also please give your your rationale because yeah. there seems to be like some good arguments on both sides and I'm like open to being convinced. I yeah, feel like same. there's a lot of flip-flopping and like they both fit into both, but I think the rubber ducks just like solidifies it solidifies. <laughs> that's the piece that solidifies me see i'm curious to see if that's mm. yeah. here's the thing though i would because i would argue they both have very niche like special interests and they i do you know like i think that's you another know. point where like you could argue for both of them so i may or may not look for some sesame street clips <laughs> to back up my argument i may or may not see if i can do some comparisons maybe i'll make a tiktok i'll do some comparisons between some supernatural, some Sesame Street. Not a comparison I ever thought I'd make, but tag I... me if you do that, unless <laughs> it's spoiler content. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I will try and endeavor to not be spoiler content so that I can tag you. Anyway, thank you so very much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed rambling on <laughs> about this delightful episode. And hopefully, we have you back again next week. Bye. Bye.